The views and discussion expressed on this program do not necessarily represent those of the hosts of the program. WMKV, Maple Knoll Communities, WLHS, the Lakota Local School District, or staff and management. The information and advice presented are educational in nature and not intended to be taken as specific legal, accounting, or other professional advice. Always consult with your own legal, accounting, or other professional before making any investment. Welcome to Real Life Real Estate Investing, a show to help you gain financial freedom by investing in real estate. Brought to you by the Real Estate Investors Association of Cincinnati and the Ohio Real Estate Investors Association. You're listening to Real Life Real Estate Investing on WMKV, WLHS, and the Maple Knoll Radio Network. And now your host, Vena Jones-Cox. Good afternoon. I am Vena Jones-Cox, and this is Real Life Real Estate Investing, working every single solitary week for more years than I want to say to. <laughs> Mike's laughing because he's been here for the whole ride. That first show? 1996. April of 96 was when you were 12 years old. When I was 12 years old <laughs> was, and, and, and Mike was like nine. Yeah. Um, he's really devoted to public radio. Uh, so yeah, I've been doing this, doing this for a long time. And the whole goal is to make sure that you guys who listen every week have the information and inspiration you need to start or grow your own real estate investing business. And going back through my own archives, I discovered that there was a giant hole and that hole giving you the information you need. And that hole is in discussing repair for equity deals. The reason that I, I just kind of, you know, I did the Homer Simpson thing when I saw that was because that was the first kind of deal I ever did. I did 30 or 40 of those before I ever did any other kind of deal. I still do them to this day. I teach about them. And somehow we've never managed to discuss it here on Real Life Real Estate. I, I did find a couple of shows where the, they, it was like contrasted with some other things. We've never really sat down and talked about what repair for equity is and why you probably want to add it to your tool bag if you are already buying ugly houses. Because it's a really good thing to do with some of your distressed properties. So here in the studio with me today to help discuss the pros and cons and how it works and uh, probably some slightly different ways to do it because not everybody does it exactly the same way. I have Mr. Bob Dressman, longtime investor. He was 12 at the same time I was, <laughs> as, <laughs> as, as I recall. Um, we actually started started out in Cincinnati, Rhea, together very, very many years ago, and he uh, has since served as president, uh, mentors a lot of people, um, very well-known local hard money lender, uh, owns rental. I mean, you've pretty much done everything during this whole time, including, I think at this point, probably hundreds of repair for equity deals. Yeah, it's... I actually learned about him from you just after the, you know, like, I think it was 2008, 2009. Um, and it really simplified my life and got me into a position that I did a lot more deals and had a lot more people really happy with me because they were excited to be engaged in the deal with me. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And also with me today is Mr. Adam Terpstra, 
who is the current vice president of RIA of Greater Cincinnati. Um, actually only been in real estate for, what, 10 years at this point? So kind of a baby a little bit. Um, but is also an ender because he, while he had a job, he collected a lot of properties and he didn't spend the money from them. <laughs> and he paid them off really fast. And now he does not have a day job and just kind of does his real estate stuff like all of us uh, normally eventually want to do. So uh, Adam has also done a number of repair for equity deals when the time looked right, even though rentals are more your favorite thing. But I know you, you also have a number of repair for equity deals and are very open to doing more should they come across, Absolutely. Should they come across your plate. Um, yeah, we're having a little bit of trouble with... Uh, Say something, Adam. Can you hear me now? Wow. Usually you have to be real close to the mic, but apparently you just blow it out when you're... <laughs> Say something again. All right, testing. Oh, that's better. That's better. That's better. All right, excellent. Yay, live radio. See, if this was a podcast, we just cut that part out. <laughs> but yeah, live radio. So um, we are here today to talk about how these deals work, um, hopefully get you all interested in going toward this direction with some of your deals and to answer your questions at 877-772-9658 or at... Uh, askvina at gmail.com. That's A-S-K-V like in Victor, E-N-A at gmail.com. So first question for both of you guys, because you've, you've both done multiple exit strategies. What is it in particular that you like about repair for equity deals? I'll go ahead and start off. Uh, what I like about them is I don't have to do the uh, the painful task of rehabbing a property. I can hand it off as is without having to do uh, much, if anything. Sometimes people will take them truly as is, and you can also get some down payment money up front to recoup some of your costs for the property. Mm-hmm. Okay. Uh, so the thing that is really attractive to me is with most of my repair for equity deals, what tends to happen is I end up with an investment that has a very high yield with very little hassle and a customer on the other side who is just tickled to death from me and becomes a great fan and cheerleader and is just grateful that you were there to help him out. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's, so it's great to make a good return on your investment and have somebody be really excited that you're really helping them out at the same time. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Because one of the, one of the key things about repair for equity deals that I think, I think it gets lost when we look at the returns which honestly can be absolutely embarrassing. Not not that we're ever embarrassed by our returns, but like a 20% return on investment, 30% return on investment is common in in these deals. But then we forget to say, because we're providing this thing that people really, really want, which is a shot at home ownership, when they don't fit into the conventional loan box. And they just would have no choice any place else to mm-hmm. have the type of opportunity because uh, the subprime lenders that are out there just don't understand this type of deal. And uh, yeah, you, as a local investor, you can be a lot more nimble and find something that is a good deal for somebody else, but it is also a good deal for you. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So having having now said all of the really good things about it, maybe we should like describe a repair for equity deal. <laughs> Um, so I, what I tell people when I'm looking for a repair for equity deal, it's typically a property that has functional mechanical systems. So I'd like the roof not to leak, the 
furnace to work, the plumbing, the, the toilets to flush. But a house that might have um, beautiful shag green carpet <laughs> and uh, metal cabinets from 1937 um, would be the perfect type of deal because it's a house that would be livable with somebody putting in a weekend's worth of work of cleaning and scrubbing, but wouldn't be modern and up to date by the standards. And so what that allows you to do is to typically sell the house on a monthly payment that is several hundred dollars less than comparable rent would be. And the person who's buying it then gets to do those repairs gradually over time and they'll develop equity into the property by both doing those repairs and um, typically you're amortizing the loan or land contract or lease option. So they're gaining equity by paying you down at the same time. And I mean, they are effectively, we'll go, we'll go back into what the difference between a lease option, a land contract and a mortgage are, but effectively they're also getting the appreciation because you, you've already agreed on the price. You've already written it down. You cannot go back five years later and say, um, so that house that I sold you for 120, it's now worth 160 and I want 160 for it. Nope. Mm-hmm. It's 120. That's not the way it works. 120 less all the payments you've made for the last five years. So it, it creates something for the customer that every American should be able to access but can't, which is, uh, it's, it's, it's wealth, right? It's like most, most Americans, if you look at, at their net worth, most of it is in their house. Mm-hmm. And if you have to rent for your whole life because nobody will take you because of your credit score, because you work at a job that you, there's only like actual work nine months a year or you haven't, you know, you're self-employed. Your income is not real documentable and yes. just, or you're not real good at doing paperwork and keeping track of. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Well, then, then, then you are literally shut out of home ownership unless you win the lottery yeah, it, or find a repair for equity deal. Yeah. And, Actually, and, the, the first uh, repair for equity deal I ever did, I think I sold it to the owner for 57.5 and I believe that house is worth over $150,000 right now mm-hmm, in mm-hmm. less than 10 years. So mm-hmm. I think they're quite happy with their purchase. Right. And now they've got net worth. Yeah. They, and, it's like a magic savings account that they not only pay down they put some money into it every month, but as the property appreciates, a bunch more gets magically deposited in there, mm-hmm. and they can't take it out to go to the casino or spend on that emergency, so it just accumulates and accumulates as long as they can hang in there. And if they do have an emergency, they can sell the house, and they get the difference between what they owe you and what somebody will pay them. So it's, yeah, it's just, it's a, it's a win-win all around. When we come back from the break, we're going to talk about the details. What what properties, what neighborhoods, what do they need to look like? How much should you as the investor be looking to pay? All of those sorts of things. We're also going to take your questions at 877-772-9658 or at askvina at gmail.com. Welcome back to Real Life Real Estate Investing. Talking today about the fifth exit strategy. There's actually only five exit strategies in real estate, and three of them are going to come to you right away, right? Wholesale, retail, rent. And then the fourth one would come to you if you thought about it enough, and that is lease optioning houses, like buying them and then putting them out rent to own. And then the fifth one is you buy the property, 
but then you sell it and carry back payments. And it, it's interesting that um, this is the one that gets talked about the least, I think, because a lot of people think it's out of their reach. They're like, I, well, I've, I've got to buy a house and then I've got to be able to hold it for years and years and years while somebody pays it off. But you have to do that with a rental, too. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, like, it's 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 too sophisticated for me. It was the first deal I ever did when I was 22 years old. You know, I, I, I didn't know anything about how the world worked. And uh, I was able to figure out how this worked because there were a lot of people at that time in Cincinnati Rhea who were doing exactly this because they were arbitraging interest rates. I started I started in Rhea back in the in the early 90s and there were a lot of loans that you could take over that were in like the 7-8% range from from you know 10 years earlier and you but but rates at that time even for homeowners were 12 13% so you could take over a 7% loan, you could sell at 13%, and even if you- Maybe pay, even mark up the price a little bit and mark, make a few bucks. Mark up, <laughs> mark up the price, and we're, we're back in those times now. I mean, there's all, there's all sorts of financing that you can take over that's at now two, and the interest rate for people trying to buy a house is six, six and a half, and that's if they have spectacular credit. Yeah, and you can probably get eight without much trouble. Yeah, eight, eight, eight. Eight is still cheaper than rent mm-hmm. <laughs> is, is how it works right now. So um, it's an idea that's been around a long time, but it, I don't know. It feels, it feels like it got lost. It, it got lost? Really? It, it feels, <laughs> I mean, I know we've all been doing it, but it feels like <laughs> the discussion in the real estate community about it has, has you know, sort of like creative finance. When, when houses were super easy to just put on the market and sell everybody did that instead of this thing yeah. which is actually more profitable in the long run yeah yeah and, and just yeah it just yeah when you could just list put any house on the market and sell it for a big profit and all cash in two days and have people fighting you down where is that market shifting now and mm-hmm. and in the long run ultimately the thing you need to always realize is that you're going to build wealth over the long term and if you're wholesaling or retailing, that's a real good job. That doesn't build long-term wealth. And it's going to be way more highly taxed than a lot of these repair for equity deals to start with. And it's going to get spent. Mm-hmm. My experience with cash is it doesn't seem no matter how much I have, I can always spend it all. But There's I... that magic hole in the bottom <laughs> of your pocket. I cannot spend my equity without a lot of trouble. So mm-hmm. That uh, forced savings account Bob was talking about earlier works in both directions. We have that forced <laughs> savings account as well where our money's tied up working for us. It does. It does. So... Um, I'm gonna I'm gonna pose this question though to you guys about the deals you have done. Let's say in the last five years when the market was super hot, it, you had other things that you could do with them. You've already said you're starting with a house that is cosmetically challenged. We call it ugly but livable. And cosmetically challenged can mean everything from uh, it's kind of from the 70s to yeah, there's still those 1920s metal cabinets <laughs> sitting there. Um, why did you not? rehab and rent them because I think you gave some people a heart attack when when Adam you said I sold a house eight years ago for 57 and now it's worth <laughs> you know 160 or whatever and I think some people went oh, I could have had that 160 instead of the 57 why not in, in this crazy hot market we've had why not rehab and retail 
them, why not wholesale them, why not fix them and rent them? Well, in my specific example, uh, the reason is pretty simple. If it weren't for this strategy, I just wouldn't have done the deal, period. I was in the process of relocating out of state, and sound, uh, rehabbing a property cross-country sounded absolutely miserable <laughs> to me. Um, I also, at that point in time, didn't have enough access to funding to do the full rehab. So there were a couple of driving factors there. I had uh, capital available to purchase the asset, but not do much more with it. So for those two reasons, uh, I this was the the perfect fit strategy. And I think, uh, and granted, this has been a little while, but I want to say I made roughly a 30% yield on it Mm -hmm. without touching the house. And are still making. And I'm still making that. Yes, yes. Years later. Years later, I'm still making that return. Okay. Well, the other thing, if you haven't noticed in the last five years, it's gotten a little more complicated to find competent contractors who want to work at a reasonable price. Um, and even just locating materials, it's been a challenge. It's getting better, but it's still not there. Uh, and so not having to deal with that process just puts years back onto your life that <laughs> you're becoming the bank rather than a contractor and a property management company. And it's just, you're moving dollars around, mm-hmm. not, um, doing a thousand other little things mm-hmm. that you do as a housing provider. Mm-hmm. And to add on to that, uh, you know, even if contractors were plentiful and cheap, like, uh, the good old days, you know, there's still a, a bandwidth issue, at least for me personally, I'm not looking to grow this massive team and go rehab 50 properties at once, but I could hypothetically have 50 land contracts going at the same time with a far, far, uh, less time commitment and mm-hmm. uh, much I mean, less overhead. Just yeah, every year when I do taxes and look at all the people that have paid me every month for the last 12 months and I didn't speak to once, it's mind boggling. Mm-hmm. And it's just like, man, that's nice. <laughs> uh-huh, uh-huh. Yeah, you do tend to forget about your repair for equity deals until you do your taxes. You're like, oh yeah, <laughs> that's right. <laughs> they I, just I, keep sending me money. <laughs> I have, I have that house, but it, it, it's, it's, it's really, the house of the person who's living there. So no different than like, I don't call my bank every month and go, so where do I send my check or, Hey, my roof's leaking or whatever. I just, I just make my payments and I enjoy my, you know, quiet the house. Right. So it, it's sort of a, a similar thing. Um, what, let, let, let's skip ahead a little bit because we're getting a lot of questions in at askmean at gmail.com that I, I want to get to. And some of them are actually the same questions that I was going to ask you guys. Let's talk about the buyer in this deal. And they really are a buyer, even though they're making you a monthly payment. And it feels a little bit like rent. It's not rent. They're making payments to buy the house. You're, you're describing properties that none of us might like aspire to live in. So who, who are these buyers that are, that are, you know, so grateful that A, they never call and B, they, they love you and thank you for it. Bob touched on a little bit earlier. A lot of them are people that aren't going to qualify for some of the more conventional financing. Uh, there's a couple things driving that one banks and uh, some of the more traditional lenders don't like to lend in certain price ranges. Like mm-hmm. uh, it's very difficult to come across a good loan for $57,000 it's the same amount of time and effort for them to go deploy their funds for a $200,000 house. Plus, typically, they're going to lend themselves to a little bit higher risk than some of those uh, nicer uh, neighborhoods in the higher dollar amounts. Um, Also, some of the credit blemishes. I'm able to treat the people as individuals rather than just a name and a number on a piece of paper and look at the big picture there and say, okay, this person really seems serious, really wants this house, and is going to give their everything to have this home, and they're getting an opportunity 
whereas you know somebody else might just see a you know 580 credit score mm-hmm. and uh, move along. Mm-hmm. They're typically a person, or at least a lot of them are people that didn't even think that they were potential homebuyers because they never thought they would be able to do it. And so, I mean, typically when we're advertising, we're trying to attract somebody who would love the opportunity. They just don't realize they can do it. They typically have the ability to um, do a significant amount of the repairs. You know, some of them are contractors that work for, you know, big home builders. And every time there's an extra three sheets of drywall, the big home builder is happy to have them take that home rather than have to figure out someplace to throw it away. Mm-hmm. Uh, or if they don't have the ability to do the work, they have very close family connections that um, are willing to help them. I've had, you know, single moms who show up with their father who's, you know, a contractor and just wants his daughter to have and grandchildren to have a decent place to live. And he's happy to help out doing the stuff that needs to happen. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And that's that's really key right there, because the, the best buyers for these deals, when they look at the green shag carpet and the metal cabinets, they don't go, oh, this is terrible. They go, I can do that. Mm-hmm. I can fix that. Like, like I'm, I'm looking at it going, oh God, how much is it going to cost me to get a contractor in here to fix it? And they're going, I can myself do it. And uh, and it doesn't need to be done today, mm-hmm. but you, you know, I can make my house a little bit better every month or every couple months by working on a new project. Yeah. I've noticed that my, my repair for equity deals get uh, they get better every February or March. <laughs> Income tax season. <laughs> yes, they get the, because people start earmarking. Okay, well, I can I can put the kitchen cabinets in, but I got to buy them, mm-hmm. and they start earmarking. Well, this year we're doing the bathroom, and this year we're doing the kitchen, and this year we're going to refinish the floors. And um, as you said, a lot of times they they will do all the all the make it make it really livable work the weekend before they move in uh-huh. <laughs> and they'll bring all their, all their contractor friends and they, you know, have a party and throw all the carpet out and all of that sort of stuff. But um, yeah. And that, that particular kind of buyer, people who are in that kind of job also tend to have either credit challenges or challenges with, can they prove all of their income, mm-hmm. <laughs> which makes them very bad uh, uh, borrowers for a bank but very good, you know, it's a win-win situation for them in a deal like this because they can make the payments, they can do the work. They It doesn't even bother them to do the work. Yeah, I, I'm typically looking for somebody who's good at making their housing payment every month mm-hmm. but might not be so good at remembering to pay the doctor that they took their kids to four months ago mm-hmm. or, you know, that they forgot to turn in the receiver or the cable modem from their cable from the last time. And so there's a collection from the cable company for mm-hmm. $212. Or and just... they've kind of forgotten to file their taxes for the last two years. <laughs> that's, that's, a, that's a big one I see is, I know I got to get to that, but I'm not good at it. And mm-hmm. okay, well, show me show me your income, though. I, yeah. it, I don't really care that much about your tax return, I guess. Uh, we need to take another quick break. When we come back, we're going to be answering some listener questions. So if you have questions, questions about repair for equity deals, anything, anything you want to know, 877-772-9658 or askvina at gmail.com. Welcome back to Real Life Real Estate Investing. So let's summarize where we are with these deals right now. We're looking for 
single family homes, which is what homeowners want to own. I mean, I, I've, I've, well, you can do a two family too. Yeah, I've done a four family is probably a little bit of a stretch, but could be doable. I, I, I've done two families, and it, it works best when you have a great big family moving into both sides. Mm-hmm. When I when I do it, and the, and the person says, "Well, I'm going to live in this side, and then I'm going to rent out this side," they have they, no idea how to do that. Even <laughs> even when I tell them that's fine, if you can find somebody over there who's going to help you with your payment, that's fine. But let me screen them. Mm-hmm. They don't do it, mm-hmm. and I've had I've had two different. Uh, buyers in those situations who they moved out and abandoned their contract and their equity because the tenant that they put in next door <laughs> was driving them crazy. Uh-huh. <laughs> so single, single families are kind of ideal. You can do it. On, I've done it on mobile homes. Mm-hmm. So those were yeah. condos, all of those sorts of things. We're looking for properties that are ugly but livable. So all the major stuff has to work. And so, it, you know, you can buy a house that needs a roof, but put the roof on it before you try to sell it, repair for equity. Um, other than that, we don't do a lot of work to it. Usually cleaning, clean it. Just so de- Get rid of all it. the crap that's in there. Yeah, yeah. Make it not smell. Yeah. Um, but beyond that, it's, hey, you need to be able to do this work. And in exchange for that, you're getting a lower payment than rent that is paying off the property for you eventually. And you're also getting a lower than market price on on the property if it's a well i have one right now that the market market's 140 mm-hmm. and the price is 99.8 yeah and they can probably put 10 grand worth of materials in there and make it worth the 140 yeah i'm guessing seven to ten yep. seven to ten of materials and then they've got a house worth 140 that that they can live in so with that we're going to go to some listener questions um karen who is from florida says what kind of contract do you use to sell these? Who holds the title or deed? And the answer to that is it depends um, a lot on your state laws. Um, here in Ohio, we have a pretty advantageous land contract law that until somebody has 20% paid in equity or has been in the property for five years, it's a little harder than a regular eviction to um, have them move out. Um, if you live in a state that doesn't have that good of a, if it's a state that would be hard to get somebody out on that type of contract, you can consider a lease option, um, or some states, the, uh, foreclosure processes, if you're in a deed of trust state, sometimes, you know, that can happen in 60 days. Mm-hmm. And so in that case, you might just consider a regular deed and mortgage. Yeah. So now Florida, where Karen lives, is a mortgage state, not a deed of trust state, but they don't have those land those uh, land contract default provisions. So you're, you're in the same, you know, I'm going to have to foreclose on them either way mm-hmm. uh, world there. So the one advantage, Karen, to doing a land contract is if you're taking on somebody who's got judgments who are going to be that are going to be following them around. You got somebody who's already got an IRS judgment. You've got somebody who's already got a child support judgment. You might consider doing a land contract just because that won't attach to the property until they get the deed at the end of the whole cycle. And that makes it easier if they are going to default to just hand the property back to you. You don't want to have to foreclose out somebody else's judgment because you gave them the deed to the property. But and I think the, the, I th- what I like to do in those situations, if it's somebody that's at all marginal, I'll do a lease option 
where part of the option is I guarantee them financing at the end if they meet certain criteria. Like paying on time. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) You know, and taking care of the house. It just, it's just, okay, well, I want to give you a chance, but on paper, no bank would give you a chance. So I want you to prove to me that you're capable of doing what you say. Mm -hmm. And I don't want to be unreasonable, but I also don't want to have to spend, you know, $4,000 in 12 months foreclosing on you either. Mm-hmm. So, mm-hmm. yeah. And that's, and that's a good like com- combination thing to do. I will often do that when I need a certain amount up front to assure myself that th- they're going to be serious and be able to do the work and whatnot. And they don't have it. Mm-hmm. So that that's fine. I, I want 4,000 up front. You've got two, so what we'll do is for the first year, we'll do a lease option and you can add to your down payment through that lease option. And when you've got it and paid your ma- payments every month and have shown some progress on actually doing something yeah. with the house, then then we've already the option is an option to buy on land contract at terms we've already agreed on. Agreed so on. that, yeah, they basically have guaranteed financing if they could take care of business. Mm-hmm. But if I lived in Texas or I lived in Georgia. You just do a mortgage. Just do a mortgage. Actually, a deed of trust because yeah, you're three days late and they're knocking on your door to sell it. Yeah, and 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 we should mention here for listeners who are in other parts of the country that there are there are places where there are um, very specific laws that would keep you from wanting to do one or the others of these. And Texas comes to mind. They've got a law that's, uh, gosh, 15 years old now uh, regarding selling on lease option or land contract that makes it such that you don't want to sell that way. But on the other hand, you can get somebody to the foreclosure steps in like 60 days, so give them a mortgage. Yeah, it's not a big deal. <laughs> yeah. Yep, and that's not even just on the state level. Sometimes it's at the local level as well, so make sure you check with uh, your local laws. Yes, yes. If you live in Youngstown, Ohio, forget everything we said about land contracts. <laughs> Because they have a very specific city statute there that, you know, this is, this is a radio show, guys. This is they don't 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 like take what we said and go. All right, I'm going to go do this right now. Yeah, get, we're, we're not lawyers. <laughs> we just do this stuff. Yeah, get some more get some more uh, education. So Karen's question continues. When you're looking at what to pay for these properties, do you do any kind of formula? So I like to run work the numbers backwards. So I generally try and achieve a yield between 20 and 25%. Maybe in nicer areas, I might go down to 15%. Um, so then what I'll do is I'll take what I think I can get for a monthly payment from a potential buyer, mm-hmm. subtract out the taxes and insurance, run the amortization on that backwards to give me, um, and then just figure out what sort of yield that would generate based on the price that I'm paying. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And yeah, I've got a fairly similar process to what Bob does. I try and back myself into the numbers and uh, make sure I leave enough equity on the bone for the uh, tenant to keep them incentivized as well as keep the monthly payment affordable a little bit uh, below normal market rents. Mm-hmm. And many times, it depends on the property. And it depends on if you're getting any financing when you buy the property. Absolutely. Because the, the numbers change if you're doing a subject to deal and it's at 3.5% mm-hmm. because it's a yield-based calculation. Yeah, I mean, and the one thing you do have to be careful of with um, repair for equity deals is if you're selling them on some sort of financing, you can't use the buy it, fix it, and then refinance it method because you're not fixing it and a bank might not be happy with the condition that it's in 
um, for mm-hmm. a refinance. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Because yeah, I want to circle back around to because I, I I sort of promised listeners who are subscribed to my uh, e letter that we would talk about that it can be done no money down. So we're going to circle back to the right ways to do it uh, no money down. But um, her last question is. So these people are in there. It's their house, even when they're on land contract and they don't have the title yet. They get it at the at It's the just last like a payment. car title. People are used to car titles. And, you know, the bank holds onto the title till you're finished paying. And so that's the way to think of a land contract. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So her last question is, do you have, to, as, the, as the title holder, have to okay any major renovations? So basically, if it's going to change the structure of the property i ask that they let that they talk with me first just because you know you don't want somebody getting into stuff that's over their head you know like removing bearing walls and things like that mm-hmm. um so but if they're gonna paint or replace the toilet they don't need to or check replace the roof yes <laughs> you know, that's a major renovation but yeah i assume if you're putting a roof on your own house you're gonna do it right and mm-hmm. and and my my contracts all say if permits need to be pulled you got to pull them because mm-hmm. i'm not involved in, in any well, of and this usually if a permit needs to be pulled Mm-hmm. it's going to require some explaining to the building department what's going on. Um, here's a question from Robert, also from Florida. <laughs> he says, why would an investor not do a repair for equity deal? Why would I ever do a rehab? I never want to manage contractors again rather than do a repair for equity deal. <laughs> well, okay. So, so why would you not? Well, there are a bunch of houses that I sold on repair for equity back in 2010 that are now worth two times what they were, what I sold them for. Mm-hmm. And so I made that trade. Now, am I upset with myself that I made that trade? No. I mean, I made a fair profit and made good money and my buyer is very happy. But so you might not want to have a portfolio of exclusively the, these type of deals because you're going to not have the same inflation hedge that you have by owning a rental. Mm-hmm. But these certainly have a place and certainly allow you to move a lot faster. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I look at it as some of the diversification of my portfolio. So I'm not going to, like Bob said, pump everything I've got into these, but they're a nice additional uh, income source to have. I've still got my conventional rentals that are appreciating and the debt's paying down every single month, so I love those. But sometimes I'm just at my capacity on what I can handle, and uh, these are a great filler for, for that void. Mm-hmm. It's like... In any portfolio, in, in a traditional financial portfolio, you're going to have both a bond component and a stock component. You know, your rentals are going to be like your stock component, and the repair for equity deals are going to be like your bond component. And so it sort of provides some stability there. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I'll tell you the third thing, Robert, uh, and we've already said this, but I just got to make it super clear. You wouldn't do a repair for equity deal on a house that wasn't livable. Or that was in too good a shape. Yes, there isn't like like spectacular, you know, can't can't keep the payment below rent and mm-hmm. also make a decent return shape. And you'd, you'd rent that one anyway, because, yeah. you know, if I just have to go in and throw a coat of paint on it, no reason to do a repair for equity deal. But, um, you know, when, it, when a deal comes across my desk, I'm always evaluating it from a few different perspectives. Do mm-hmm. I want to keep this as a rental? Do I want to wholesale it or do I want to do repair for equity? And it's in that order. I would prefer to rent it. Secondarily, I'd prefer to do repair for equity, but if it needs 
a roof and the plumbing's been stolen and the furnace is clearly 25 years old and also it has an ugly kit that's going to get wholesaled that's mm-hmm. not that's not going to go uh repair for equity so a uh, number of different factors in the decision making process there uh, Robert, and then he has a second question that I'm sure is on every listener's mind that we're going to hit after the uh, break, which is what happens if the buyer doesn't perform? Wow. <laughs> you listen to Real Life Real Estate Investing. We're talking today about repair for equity deals with Bob Dressman and Adam Terpstra. We'll be back right after this. Welcome back to Real Life Real Estate Investing, talking repair for equity deals today. And my inbox has absolutely filled up with questions. So we're not going to get to all of them. Let me give you all this this recommendation. If you want to really, really learn how to do these and what the documents look like and how to advertise them, Cincinnati RIA is holding a class on Saturday. I am teaching that class. It is online, so everybody can attend it, and it comes with all of these, you know, like in-depth teaching about each part of this and a bunch of template forms and contracts and whatnot. Go check your local RIA's site. Go check your local RIA's calendar and see if they have it this Saturday. And if not, go to CincinnatiRIA.com. That's C-I-N-C-I-N-N-A-T-I. Ria.com had some complaints lately that the website was down and then discovered that people put two T's at the, <laughs> at the end of Cincinnati. Cincinnati Ria.com. Uh, click on the calendar on Saturday. Uh, it is significantly less expensive for members than it is for non-members. But if you go click the join page, you'll discover that you can become a member for a month for $25. And then you can save a hundred dollars. So. Wow! And that, and they could even come to some of the other meetings for I know for a whole month. month and I know discover they want to be a full time member. They can come. Yeah, they can come to the, the the women's power panel next week online. They can come to the wholesale focus group online. Yeah. So CincinnatiRia.com. Check that out. It this this uh, unfortunately it's it's hard to do justice to a, a strategy that is kind of this not known on in an hour long show. Um, Robert is uh, has uh, the follow up question of what happens if the buyer does not perform, comma does not repair the house, which is actually two different questions. Buyer not performing to me means they don't make the payments. Yeah. So if they stop paying, you just take the house back, sell it for more money than you did the last time, and make more money. Mm-hmm. Now the other piece of that, which I was I was much more locked down on this when I started these deals than I am now. What if they make the payments every month for 20 years, but they don't repair the house? Okay. As long as the city's not bugging me, I don't care. Yep, absolutely. Their problem if uh, they've got a distressed house at the end of it. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And that, that that does happen. Some, usually they take care of the stuff. I mean, eventually the furnace works when they move in, but eventually it's going to go bad. And they're going to replace it. They're not going to live in a cold house. But sometimes you go back in 10 years later and you're like, I'm still looking at the same metal cabinets. Your wife okay with that? Well, <laughs> and your contract needs to have a provision that you can do some of that stuff if you need to. So, for example, you get city orders. They don't get the stuff done. You need to comply since you're the title holder um, or else you're in a major fight with the city, which is never any fun. Mm-hmm. I just um, got one of those phone calls uh, about a week ago. <laughs> <laughs> and, and so in that case, you just... Do the stuff that needs to be done, add it to the principal balance, and mm-hmm. you're done. Mm-hmm. Yep. I just had to put a roof on one of my repair for equity deals because the dude just could not find a contractor who would come out and do it. And it went on long enough that I started worrying about what the inside of the house looked like. So I was like, I'll put it on. We're going to increase your land contract balance. 
uh, we actually recast the whole land contract so that he could con- he could go ahead and pay it off in the 13 years he had left instead of stretching it back out. Yeah, I mean, and, and there are times that if somebody has a big repair, you know, what I'll do is I'll say, yeah, I can put the money up, but we're going to bump your monthly payment um, by, a, you know, so that you can pay that repair off in, you know, two years or three years or five <laughs> years or something just to make sure that we're still amortizing it and just they, they're not looking to me every time something goes wrong. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So let's let's uh, let's go to the big scary first question I got. Got this one before we even walked into the studio, which is we are providing financing for homeowners to buy properties. And Glenn would like to know he used the word circumvent. I don't like that word <laughs> circumvent. How do you comply? How do you yeah. comply with <laughs> with the Dodd-Frank rule that the rules that that uh, came into effect about 2011? So there's there's a few requirements in there that are key. I mean there's a lot of requirements, but some of the big ones are don't have uh, balloon payments in there. Um, another thing that can help out is uh, getting a, a licensed mortgage originator to do some of your underwriting and uh, originate the, the loan. Um, there's also some quantity limits where uh, you're somewhat exempt if you're only doing a couple of these, whereas if you're doing this as a business and doing 10 land contracts a year, then, yes, you're definitely going to fall under uh, Dodd-Frank. I'm sure Bob has a handful. Of well, the, well the, the specific rule is if you're doing only three in a rolling calendar year, then everything else still applies, but you don't have to have the licensed mortgage originator involved. And that was the thing that scared people early on because we looked and looked and looked and looked for a licensed mortgage originator who even understood what a land contract was. And when we would find one, they'd say, yeah, I'll do it for $2,000 every time I have to get involved. You need to find one who's starving, who has the software and could just plug the numbers in. Actually, you don't anymore. There's whole companies set up now that what they do is they do licensed mortgage originator originations for repair for equity deals, and they charge like $397. And so, yeah. And then you're in compliance. You you, you pay for, and you need to, part of the Dodd-Frank thing too is, and you want to do this anyhow, is you need to actually check to make sure the person can afford to pay for this. Mm-hmm. Which is, you know, yeah, I don't like excessive regulation, but that's something that I'm going to do anyhow. So, mm-hmm. yeah. not a big deal. Yeah, if you if you actually look up what the law is, what the law says, ninety five percent of it, you would have done anyway. Mm-hmm. You got to you got to check their income, make sure that they can easily afford the property. Same thing FHA would do, right? Right. Um, there were a couple of things that really changed the way the repair for equity business was done. One is you cannot have a balloon in a mortgage or land contract where the buyer is going to be a homeowner. And we used to do balloons in these things. You know, you got 10 years and then you got to pay the balance. Right. Uh, The other one was uh, you can't do negatively amortizing mortgages anymore, uh, which was that was my dad's thing back when interest rates were 18 percent um he would he would set your payment at what you could afford but it wasn't enough to actually amortize the loan so so you you were actually you actually owed more at the end of Mm -hmm. the year but people did it because they were like the house is going to be worth because if the interest rates are high then inflation's typically high so your the house is going to be worth more so it's not a big deal Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. so that is that is gone and you do need to familiarize yourself with dodd frank and we will talk about that on Saturday, what all the things yeah, are. Yeah, but, but don't let Dodd-Frank scare you away. Mm-hmm. It's 
yeah, it's one more thing on the checklist to make sure you're doing it right, but it's not that hard. Very, very true. So um, interesting idea from, I'm going to say the name is Matt V, M-A-T-T-V-E-I. He says, if you could, and I think it's very possible, would it make sense to create a process to create an ongoing database of people who are in the trades and are looking for these deals so that then when you get the property, you have an immediate source of people. So like a buyer's list that a wholesaler would keep, only it's a buyer's list for people looking for repair for equity deals. Yeah, I don't see why not. I mean, in some ways, I kind of already have a rolling one in my head. Uh, I like to sell the tradesmen, as we've already discussed, you know, who's going to do a better job fixing your house up or their house up than someone who already fixes houses every day for a living. So they're one of my favorite uh, types of buyers. And uh, I've got kind of a short list in my head of if I come across a good deal. um, Yeah, these people are going to be getting a call. Some of my uh, better land contracts have been to contractors that know how to do the work. Yeah, and you just need to make sure the list is people who would like to change their housing situation but don't need to immediately. They're not under <laughs> eviction because they didn't pay the last Or, or that their lease expired and the owner's selling the house to somebody else and they need to find a new place to live. And Yeah, and I, I actually did build one of those lists about, uh, you'll remember this, I, I we, had, we had a whole bunch of these that, available and I built a list just by running an ad that said, if you would be interested in a deal like this, go fill out this form. And we had like 120 people fill out the form after three or four days. Mm-hmm. And then the problem became not enough inventory to sell them. Yes. Yeah. The, the, the trick with these type of deals is not usually selling them because there's a huge demand. The trick is finding the right type of deal where you can treat your buyer correctly mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and still make a good profit. Well, very good, fellas. As I expected, we ran out of time before we ran out of questions. I apologize to David and Patty and some of the other folks who uh, sent in some very good questions that we are we just cannot answer. Uh, you might want to go to CincinnatiRia.com, guys, and check out the class that's coming up this Saturday called Repair for Equity Deals. I'll be teaching that. You can sign up at CincinnatiRia.com. We'll be back next week with more information to put you on the path to financial independence through real estate investing. Until then, happy investing. 